Well, we're going to jump into the Word. We're continuing in our second week of Making Faith Real. And the title of my message today is The Cost of Doing Nothing. The Cost of Doing Nothing. Now, last week we were talking about uh, different ways that faith is talked about in the Bible. We talked about intellectual faith and saving faith, the gift of faith. I was really encouraged this week, by the way, uh, at our board meet- m- meeting that Brian remembered all of these. I, could, I was like, whoa, I couldn't even remember them at all. And I wrote the sermon. And he was like so amazing. I was just like, oh, he was talking about all these things of faith. And I was like, man, go, Brian, you need to preach, dude. He was a giver. Talked about the fruit of faith. We talked about dead faith. We talked about the measure of faith. And I just kept, it kept coming back to me this week, this thing about the measure of faith. And uh, that God, by God's grace, the grace he's given us, he gives us a measure of faith. And I think sometimes when we're living small, you know, we're thinking, why is my faith not bigger? Why is not, why isn't more happening in my life? Why am I not able to do more? It's because, you know, I think a lot of times we're focused on ourselves. We're focused on me. You know, my, my feelings, my needs, my wants, my comfort, my pleasure, my everything. And God's like, okay, well, that's easy. You know, I can give you a little bit, you know. That, that, that's nothing. And we, we, we're kind of like, why am I so limited? Why am I so limited in my faith? Why am I not seeing God move ahead in my life when God is urging us to have a larger measure? He wants us to have more walk in more grace. He doesn't want us to, to run ahead and act like we have more than we have. He says in Romans chapter 12, verse 3, don't, you know, be sober, be serious. You know, give it some thought. Don't, don't act like you're, you've got all kinds of faith when you don't. Move ahead with the grace that God's given you. Don't, don't, don't uh, lag behind in it. Don't move ahead. Of God, right? So you wanna you wanna start living. How in the world did Caitlin end up in Palestine? You know, she was telling me, "Oh, Pastor Greg, it's so easy. You know, you just fly into this city and you just take the bus across that border, and there's guys with machine guns and all that." But don't worry about that. You know, she's telling me how easy it is. Why is it easy for some people to do things that seem hard? Because God's given them a measure of faith. They're open their hearts and they're stepping out in the measure that God gives them. And they're believing for God to move. And their measure becomes larger. You know, are you settling for a small measure? Is God speaking to you and saying, you know, I want you to believe for something more to happen in your family. I don't want you to give up on your son. I don't want you to give up on your daughter. You quit praying for them. I don't want you to quit praying for him. I'm believing with you that something's going to happen. And I, you know, God wants you to live according to the measure that he's giving you. The grace that he's giving you wants to fill you with the faith. Are, are you being obedient in your workplace? Are you stepping out? Are you following God? Are you sharing the gospel with your neighbors? Are you loving people that are far from God? I want to encourage you, as you begin to do that, you're going to see that God begins to meet you where the measure of your faith is. And then we also talked about the prisoner of faith. And Paul was a prisoner of faith. And we're talking from the book of Philemon, and we're going to be talking again today. We don't have time to read the book 
of Philemon, but we read the whole book, and I urge you, if you missed last week, to, to read, uh, listen through the messages online, and you can see what we talked about. I don't want to rehash the whole thing today, but we talked about being a prisoner of faith. Paul was a prisoner of his faith. He was bound to do what God had called him to do because of the grace of God. The grace of God was upon his life, and he couldn't live his life any other way but to live his life for Jesus. And he was being led by Jesus. He was being led by the Spirit. Paul wrote to the Galatians, he said, I keep in step with the Spirit. That's what he said. I'm, I'm in step with the Spirit. I don't know if you've ever seen anybody that's chained up in a chain gang, you see them on a movie, and they're stuck. I mean, they're, they're all going. The chain moves, their leg moves, right? And Paul's saying, I, I've got my eye on the Spirit. When the Spirit moves, I am chained to the Spirit. And the, the Spirit's moving me, and I'm going along with Him. I'm keeping my eyes on the Spirit, and I'm going with where the Spirit goes. And I'm a prisoner of my faith. He's keeping his eyes on the Spirit. I want to urge you today. Are your eyes on the Spirit? Are you, are you a prisoner of your faith? Are you just living for yourself? Are you just living for your own expectations? Are you just living for what you want? Are you watching something on uh, the news or something and living for that? Or what, what is it that's got your attention? Have you got your eyes on the Spirit? You know, many of you know I, I uh, fly toy airplanes for a hobby. <laughs> we call it radio control because it's just a way of saying we, we play with toys. <laughs> Boys that play with toys. And there's a thing in radio control it's called first person view. And so what it is, you, you put on a pair of goggles. It's like TV screen. And uh, there's a little TV camera in your airplane. And as you're flying, it feels like you're actually in the airplane flying around. Isn't that amazing? What people will do for fun these days. Well, while you're flying in the airplane uh, and you're up in the sky, it feels like you're, uh, looks like you're looking down on the earth and all that kind of stuff. And uh, as you're there, you need to have somebody with you, a spotter, that actually tells you where your airplane is. Because when you're flying in the airplane looking out, you actually don't know where you are. From way up in the sky, it looks like I can sort of see down there. I can sort of see where I am. I can see a road. We can see a river, whatever. We can see some trees. But we actually don't know where we are. So the person beside you said, oh, you're like two miles to the west. What? <laughs> we better fly back, right? Because you can, you can lose track because it's easy to drift. It's easy to drift when you don't have your eyes on what you're doing, right? Paul told Philemon these things. In the book of Philemon, he said, I didn't want to do anything. I didn't want to do anything without your consent. He said, I want to hear from you. I want you to get your eyes on this. You know, life has a way of creating distractions. You know, things happen, problems spring up, good things spring up. People organize birthday parties. You know, last night we were at a birthday party for Pastor Kimmy. It's her birthday today. She's, she's turned 50. I don't know how that happened. I don't know how that happened. How does someone so, look so young get so old? <laughs> 
Distractions can happen in life, and it can be easy to drift. The thing that we need to do to begin to drift is nothing. You don't do anything. You just don't do anything, and you begin to drift. You get your eyes off the Spirit, and you begin to drift in our lives. And Paul told these words to Philemon, but I did not want you to do anything without I did not want to do anything without your consent so that any favor you would do would not seem forced but would be voluntary. So Paul was saying to to Philemon, he was saying, Philemon, I am going to do the right thing. And uh, and, uh, he wanted Philemon to do the right thing back, right? Saying, I got my eyes on this situation. I want you to get your eyes on this situation. And I'm not going to benefit personally from this situation. I'm not going to serve my own needs. I'm not going to serve my own agenda. I'm going to make room for miracles to happen in this situation. I'm going to make room for the miracles of the gospel to become a reality in our lives. And I want you to know, he's kind of using a double negative here. He's saying, I don't want to do anything until you see. He said, he's, so he's not saying, I don't want to do nothing. He said, I want to do something, but I want you to do it first. I want, you, I want the miracle to happen in you first. I want to give the Spirit of God a chance to be a reality in your life, to change your heart, to bring you to the place I'm at. You know, sometimes we can get, we can get controlling we can get manipulating. We can get angry. We can, get, we can do whatever we can to make people do what we want. But Paul's saying, you know what? I am not going to force it. I want, you to, I want you to have a miracle. I want you to have a change of heart. I want Jesus to do what he did in my heart. And he's given room for that to happen. You know, right now our world's going through lots of turmoil. There's lots of change. This isn't new, though. There's many times in history when the world has gone through turmoil and change. And we, in our own lives, go through changes that cause us to react. You know, sometimes we react different, don't we, to change. We react different to turmoil. We react different when things don't go how we want. We can, we can fight when things don't go how we want. Uh, it can cause us to just give up, just lay down and give up and not say we don't care. It can cause us also to live in a renewed way for our God-given purpose with a renewed passion. You know, when we're tired, we may not leave. We may not give up. We may not run. But sometimes we just kind of start to drift. We just say, you know what? I tried everything. And we just say, And we start drifting. And we start drifting. And Paul's urging us to get our eyes on the Spirit and trusting God because he's saying, if you don't do anything, you're going to drift. I don't know who in the world is texting me. Is someone texting me? Is my daughter around? Is she texting me? I got about 20 text messages. and I don't know what you're texting me about. Just come and tell me. Because I don't want to punch the password into my phone while I'm preaching. 
sometimes we can start to play it safe. You know, when it comes to our marriage. When I say, oh, we've come to a roadblock in our marriage and we start to just play it safe and we start to drift. When it comes to our family, we can come to a roadblock. We can come to a challenge and we can give it up. Uh, when it comes to obeying the gospel, we can do the same. When it comes to our work, it can be the same. When it comes to our efforts to see transformation in the culture, it can also become the same. Now, Paul told Philemon, we can't let nothing be an option. And he was actually saying to Philemon, I won't let you do nothing, and you don't let me do nothing. <laughs> right? That's what he was saying to him. I won't do nothing, and you don't do nothing. You don't do nothing, don't let me do nothing. So here's some markers that we can look at to measure drift. And you know, I was just thinking, Pastor Kimmy, since you turned 50, I thought these might help you when it comes to drift. You can take that out there and just try them on. We all want to see. We want, want to, you, st you can stand up. Sometimes we need some, we just need some new lenses. We need some progressive lenses. Right, those are some progressive lenses for you. <laughs> so markers that we can look at. Thank you very much for modeling those. Markers that we can look at to measure drift. Markers that we can look at to measure drift in our lives. How do we know if we're drifting or not, Pastor Greg? How do I know if I'm drifting? Here's one. We're trusting God for the future. We believe God moved in our past, but man, we believe he's going to move in the future. We believe he's going to change lives. We believe God is going to provide. We believe God is a God of miracles. We believe God is a God of provision. He's a God of protection. He is going to make a way for us in the future. Or have we moved away from trusting God for the future? Have we given up on the future? Have we started to try to control the future? We try to make people do what we want. We try to force situations. Well, that's a sign that we can measure drift. Are we trusting God for the future? Are we moved from trust to control? Here's another one. Going to God for our healing. Are we going to God? Or are we going to the Tylenol bottle for our healing? What is it that's going to heal us? Are we going to God? Are we, are we saying to God first, I'm trusting you to bring healing into my life. Maybe it's peace into our minds. Maybe it's a touch in our bodies. Are we going to God? Or have we just started justifying our brokenness? You know, one of the ways I think that we can say that we stop trusting God is we actually start bragging to people about our pain. We start talking about all of the hurt we're going through. Huh? Are we trusting God for our healing? Are we using our words, our wounds, as a bragging list with our friends? Another one we can look at is if we're drifting, are we running to our closets to pray? Are we running to our closets to pray? Or are we talking about our problems with people? And only looking for, to people for pity. Huh? That's a, one of the ways you can say, whoa, Pastor Greg, you know what? I'm doing that. I think I'm drifting. I'm not saying he's in a condemning way. But these are ways that we can keep our eyes 
on whether we're drifting or not. We're keeping our eyes on the Spirit. Is there thankfulness in our mouths? Is there thankfulness in our mouths? Or are we complaining about people who are doing well <laughs> or to make us feel better for being small and not doing well? You know, the purpose of God for our lives hasn't changed. Just because the world has changed, because situations have changed, maybe our family has changed, our marriage has changed, the purpose of God for our lives hasn't changed. And we can still trust him. We can keep our eyes on him. And we can believe that he has our best interest at heart. When we see things that need to change in us, in our homes, in our culture, then doing nothing is not an option. <laughs> Just closing our eyes and hoping things get better is not an option. We want to be people that are motivated by the Holy Spirit because the Holy Spirit leads us to walk in the power of the gospel. And the gospel is only powerful if we're experiencing it. If it's just in the Bible, if it's just words that we believe, if we're not actually living it out and experiencing it, it's not powerful. I want to encourage you that we need to be people that hold on to the power of the gospel that comes to our relationship with Jesus. And this is how we do it. It's found in John chapter 15 and verse 5. And these verses will be up on the screen. Number one, this is what Jesus said. I am the vine and you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, what does he say? You can do nothing. And we don't want to be people that do nothing, do we? No, because when you're doing nothing, we drift. We want to be connected to Jesus. We want to be trusting Jesus. We want to be led by Jesus. And he promises us we would bear much fruit. And then the next verse, he says, If you do not remain in me, you will be like a branch that's thrown away and will wither. Such branches are picked up and thrown into the fire and burned. In verse 7, he says, If you remain in me and my words remain in you, Ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. That's being connected to Jesus. That's being led by Jesus. That's being, that's being uh, 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 keeping growing in the vine and being fed by the, the Spirit of God and the, and the direction of the gospel of Jesus. Paul said these words to Philemon in verse 21. I'm confident in your obedience, I write to you knowing that you will do even more than I ask. Right? He's confident in his obedience, but he's even more confident in the gospel, what the gospel is going to do, what Jesus is going to do in Philemon's heart. He's saying, I know that you're going to do even more than I ask. I know that faith is going to do something greater in you than my telling you what you have to do, <laughs> right? He's saying, I could tell you what you have to do, but I believe Jesus can change your heart in such a way, empower your life in such a way, if you'd be connected to him, that more will happen in you and through you than I could even ask. Paul wasn't confident in the law or what the law could do. Paul was confident in the gospel. He's confident in the power of God. Paul didn't put his faith in people. 
He put his faith in Jesus to do more than was otherwise possible. John 15 and verse 8, this is what Jesus said. The last verse from chapter 15 I want to refer to. He says, this is to my Father's glory that you would bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. You know, God's desire is that you would bear much fruit. That's God's desire for you. That's his hope for you. Not that you would be controlled by rules and laws, but that your connection, your relationship with Jesus, by the power of the Holy Spirit flowing into your life, you would bear much fruit. You would be a disciple that bear fruit. I want to talk to you today really quickly about three things our faith can do to influence the culture around us. The first one is to know that our faith uh, begins in our home. In verse 1 and 2, Philemon said, our dear, or he said to Philemon, to Philemon, our dear friend and fellow worker, and to the church that meets in your home. You know, Philemon had a church in his home. I know right away we go to the idea that Paul, uh, Philemon had a worship team, and he had, he had a stage and a pulpit, and a, he had chairs like this. Likely that's not what Philemon had at all. He, what he had was he had an environment where the presence of God would come into his home and the word of God was being read in his home and people's lives were being touched by the power of gospel in his home. So here's some marks of a healthy church in our homes. You know you can have the church in your home. The presence of God isn't just meant to be at Gateway on Sunday mornings. The presence of God is meant to be in your home. So here's the marks of a healthy church in your home. Number one, we're followers of Jesus. You know, we can all have preferences in our home. We can want this. We can want that. We can want to do it this way. We can have all kinds of things that we want. But one of the marks of a healthy church is that we put Jesus number one. Number two, that we have worship of God. That there's an invitation to the presence of God. There's an acknowledgement that God is greater and we are hungry and desperate for his presence. And we invite his presence into our Anybody do that? Do you actually open your mouth and say, God, I invite you? I was always blown away by Christina. She said, I actually go to my front door, and I open it, and I say, Holy Spirit, come right on in. We invite you to come into our house. I'm like, that is so cool. I love that. I just love that. To say that we're hungry for you. We're open to you, presence of God, to come into our homes. We, we need you. We want you. Uh, there's a bond of unity. What that means is we're committed to pursuing Jesus together and not pursuing our own will, our own wants, right? We, we have in our homes sometimes the way we want it. <laughs> My way or the highway. <laughs> but we, what we see in a healthy home, a healthy church, healthy place for the presence of God, that there's a commitment that we're not going to let our wants rise above our desire to walk together in unity. And you can see the rest of that list. We want to move to the next point. So how can our faith influence the culture? Number two is to become useful. To become useful. In verse 11 of Philemon, he says, Formerly, Onesimus, he's talking about, was useless to you, but now he's become useful both to you and to me. You know, sometimes when you get older and you're in your chair, 
you know, and the remote control is way over there. And you think, oh, I can't even, I don't even have kids at home anymore that I can ask them to bring the thing. Can you grab the thing over there, you know? So I thought, Pastor Kimmy, I, I call this Kimmy's Rocking Chair Reacher. So when you're in your chair, you know, and even Dwayne's at work or whatever, you can just like reach over and grab stuff, you know, with it. Oh, I got it. There you see? <laughs> there you go. Happy birthday to you. Pastor Kimmy, 50 years old, become useful. On the surface, Philemon is a book written about a broken relationship between two people, Philemon and Onesimus. At a deeper level, though, it's a picture of the gospel. In the gospel, we are slaves to sin. Huh? Not Onesimus anymore. Us. We're enslaved to sin. We're powerless to get out of our bonds. Which separated us from God. And condemned us. And we were on the run even from God. In a desire to please ourselves and find some kind of hope. And God, who's rich in mercy, sent his son Jesus to set us free. And Onesimus met Paul as he was running from God. It was like God just stepped down from heaven and said, I got another plan. I'm going to show you some goodness. I'm going to show you some grace. I'm going to love you in such a way, Onesimus, it's going to short circuit your mind. You're going to encounter me. And God in his mercy sent Jesus to set us free. There was a moment where you had an encounter with the living God. Jesus came into your life. He stepped into your life. And he broke off the chains, the bondages of sin. And he set you free at no cost to you, but at great cost to himself. And Paul was like that in this story. He said, I will pay any debt that Onesimus has incurred. I set him free. <laughs> that's what Jesus has done for you. And that's what this book, in a deeper level, points us to. That sin renders us defeated and enslaved. It destroys our potential. And Paul uses this word useless on purpose. Because the name Onesimus actually literally means useless. Isn't that amazing? How does that work out? And Paul said, I am changing his name. You know, God doesn't just set you free, but he gives you a new identity. He gives you a new identity. He changes you from being useless. He changes you to being useful to him. Useful in the kingdom of God. Useful in the purposes of God. You know, the devil's an accuser, and he'll lie to you. He will limit you. He will lie to you about your identity and your potential. We're going to be talking about identity next week, by the way. And Jesus wants to liberate you and redeem you and increase your potential by multiplication and diminished value versus increased value. So the devil wants to diminish your value. Jesus wants to increase your value. How do we see cultures being redeemed? Moved from useless. Well, it isn't by fighting. It's not by better arguments. It's not by shaming. 
but it's by the power of the gospel that changes lives. The culture of the kingdom is different than the secular culture that we have around us. They're in opposition. Two cultures that oppose each other. We shouldn't be surprised that there's budding. You know, the way Jesus works to change culture is by changing lives. (laughs) Jesus didn't fight with the culture. Jesus changed lives. The intention of usefulness is not selfishness. It's selflessness. When you become useful, we don't use it for our own self. We use it selflessly. And Onesimus became useful, and he also became selfless. And he returned back to Philemon. And when Paul gained a son, he became selfless. Because he wanted to keep Onesimus with him. He wanted to keep his son with him. And he sent his son to be a blessing in the house of Philemon. And you know, that's what we do to you today, Joel. Is we release you as a son. We, we release you, not just because we don't give a rip and you got other plans, but because we want you to be useful in the hands of God. God has called you for a purpose. He's called you to have a Joel spirit. He's called you, called you to declare the praises of God, the dreams of God, the purposes of God. He said, sing these things out. Get the, get the declaration out of the goodness of God. And we release you to go do that with the power and strength of God. That's selflessness. That's the power of the gospel. The last one is that we can have, how we can have faith to influence the culture is by losing. This is a tough one because we all want to win. You know, slavery is part. Are you leaving, Dwayne? <laughs> Pastor Kimmy's not allowed to leave. Because I have one more gift for her. Slavery was part of the secular culture during the days of the Bible. It opposed the culture of the Bible. Of the kingdom of God. But you know in the Bible there's a story of Joseph in the coat of many colors. Remember that? And his brothers got jealous of Joseph. And they beat him. They were going to kill him. And then they decided, you know what, we'll sell him. So some people came by. What did they do? Hey, do you guys want to buy someone? Like where does that happen? In the Bible. It was part of the culture in Bible days. It happened in the world. All the nations of the world, they, they practiced this. It was normal. You know, Jesus, or Joseph was sold by his brothers to the passers-by. And Philemon, who's a new Christian, here he is, finds himself in opposition to the culture of the kingdom of God. And he owns a slave. So what was the approach to change the culture around them that was opposed to the kingdom of God. Verse 12 says, I am sending him who is my very heart back to you. Wow. Paul's approach to defeating the culture was actually 
to trust the power of the gospel to change Philemon's heart. And he sent Onesimus back to him and asked him, would you please consider a change? You know, if the church is going to be used to impact the culture, we have to follow the master plan. And to follow the master plan, you got to be able to hear the master plan. So I made a hearing aid for you, Pastor Kimmy. I wrote on all these, by the way, Kimmy's hearing aid, that says. So you just put this end in your ear and you do it like that. <laughs> we got to follow, follow the master plan. And the master plan is found in Matthew 28, verse 19. It says, go into all the world. Go to the world where the culture of the world opposes the kingdom of God. Go there and make disciples. That's the plan that Jesus gave us. You know, I once read a description of the church. And I think this guy must have been a farmer, Louis Palau, who was a great evangelist. And he wrote this. The church is like a manure, is like manure. Pile it up and it stinks up the neighborhood. Spread it out and it enriches the world. Huh? It's very true. The power of the gospel happens when we go into the world. It's hard. It is hard. It's hard. It's hard. We don't want to. It's not comfortable. In his book, Winning by Losing, J.D. Greer speaks of three types of churches. I'm going to close with these three types of churches uh, that illustrate the mission of the church in our culture today. You guys can decide. What kind of church do you want to be a part of? What kind of church do you want Gateway to be? Number one, J.D. Greer says, the first is like the cruise ship church. Now, the cruise ship church offers luxuries for the whole family. There's childcare, entertainment, there's comforts, there's even lunches, barbecue lunches. <laughs> Families ask, does this church improve our family's life? Do the facilities meet our family's needs? Does the pastor preach funny, relevant, and time-conscious messages? <laughs> Do I like the music? <laughs> Do I like the people? If the church fails to meet any of these needs, that's okay because there's many other cruise ships that are actually docked in the harbor. In fact, we can get involved in three or four different cruise liner programs. We could have the music at Cruise Liner 1, we could have the youth program at Cruise Liner 2. We could have a Bible study at Cruise Liner 3. And we could listen to the podcast of the pastor at Cruise Liner 4. That's the cruise ship church. Number two, second kind of church that J.D. Greer talks about is the battleship church. What church is going to impact our culture? That's what we're asking. The battleship church. The mission is to loudly and dramatically oppose and be against and battle with the culture. It feels like the church as an institution needs to lead the battle. And the members pay the pastor to be the general and lead the fight. And fire at the targets at the culture weekly in his sermons. 
And the programs are designed in the church are designed to help with this attack on the culture. The third uh, church that J.D. Greer talks about in illustrating these ships is the aircraft carrier church. Now those are churches who are effective in the battle, yes. But they're not directly in the battle. See, a cruise, uh, an aircraft carrier never actually wants to be in the battle. It wants to be away from the battle and send planes to engage in the battle. They prepare, equip, and send their members to enlarge the mission and the kingdom <laughs> that they're fighting for. The members go into the community, share the gospel without the help of the pastor. Did you know you can actually share the gospel without me? You can actually tell somebody about how God has been good to you, how Jesus has forgiven you, how Jesus has helped you, provided for you, made a way for you. You can be excited about our great and living God. They start Bible studies in the community, in their workplaces, and so on. And they even start churches in places without them. I am so excited when we see young people like Caitlin and Joel. And I know Rachel's talking about going. And Caleb has just come back. People are saying, you know what? We're not just going to be people that sit in here. We want to be like an aircraft carrier. We want to be like a jet that gets sent out. We feel equipped. We feel empowered by God. We want to make our lives count. We want to see things happen in the world. We want to see battles won. And disciples are sent to take the battle to the enemy. You know, people are not our enemy. The devil and sin is our enemy, right? The gospel is what changes lives and set people free as uh, Onesimus was set free from slavery. You know, doing nothing, church, is not an option. We'll just drift. This is an opportunity for faith. What kind of church do you want to be? Cruise ship? Battleship? Aircraft carrier? Let's stand up. We're going to have a prayer. And then I'm going to invite our friend Feli to come and join me on the stage before Pastor Kim come, comes up. And she's got something to say. Lord, thank you. Thank you that you're speaking to us about our faith. You want our faith to be useful. Man, we're tired of doing nothing. <laughs> we're tired of fighting. We want to see faith win. And Lord, we believe that you want to work in us and through us. So Lord, we're just saying, help us to get our eyes off ourselves, off our discouragement, off our circumstances, and fixed on you, Spirit of God, so that we can move where you're asking us to move, where we can believe where you're asking us to believe, where we can begin to pray where you're asking us to pray, where we can walk into healing where we need healing, where we can see breakthroughs in our family, where our family needs breakthroughs, where we can see we need breakthroughs in our workplace. God, we pray that you would move us into faith in Jesus' name. We thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, God, that you're speaking to us. Thank you that you're speaking to young people. Thank you that you're speaking to older people, that our lives can make a difference. 
Our lives can make a difference in this culture. And Lord, we're believing for impact to come through the power of the gospel in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Do your work in us so you can do your work through us, God. Amen.